April 21, 1996, an F3 tornado hit parts of Fort Smith and Van Buren, Arkansas. Three people died. There were millions of dollars in damages. Um, we were uh, amazed at the response that uh, disaster relief uh, out of Nashville, Tennessee, which is an outreach of the Church of Christ in, in Tennessee. Uh, the very next day after that tornado, they showed up with disaster relief supplies and unloaded them at the Family Life Center. West Ark Church responded in the best way it could with food, supplies, chainsaws, and prayers. An outpouring of support from members for a common purpose, healing the community. And so that gave birth to the idea of disaster relief here in Fort Smith. Jim Pratt and uh, Bob Fisher uh, were so impressed with that that they said, you know, uh, if someone can respond to a tornado in Fort Smith overnight, then we need to be able to respond to disaster relief within our region and our community as well. What started as a simple response to show God's love after a specific tragedy has evolved into an organization that spreads love across the world year after year. And because he said, in so much as you help other people, you help me. So. Eventually, Cure's main focus shifted from disaster relief to medical supply. We began to expand into other areas, and so Dr. Bob Fisher, working at the hospital, recognized a tremendous waste in, uh, in medical supplies. Twenty years later, donations pour in as fast as they go out. Many times the cure staff cannot predict how the donations will be used. And you never know uh, when you're going to get a call and where these supplies are going, but you know that uh, God is going to take care of using to the benefit of people. Once Two wheelchairs were donated for people weighing over 500 pounds. And I brought these wheelchairs back, and I thought, How, we'll never get rid of these wheelchairs. Cure had a call just two days later for a plus-sized wheelchair. The Lord works in mysterious ways. In 2010, Lavaca School District decided to open a wellness center. Cure came to the rescue. They were astonished at what we had, and so... Uh, we uh, were fortunate enough, with God's help, to provide them with almost an entire clinic. All the exam uh, room tables, the otoscopes, the ophthalmoscopes, the blood pressure machines, uh, uh, waiting room equipment, the children's uh, playroom equipment, the whole thing. We'd like to see the results that we get back from it and the letters we get back for the people we help. We're in it to help people. One of the emerging calls for cure is for durable medical equipment for local people caring for loved ones at home. Every day we receive calls from the case managers at the hospital, places like Reynolds Cancer Support House, the Crisis Center, and that they, uh, they can't get equipment. They can't get something as simple as a wheeled walker, a set-down walker, or a crutch, or a cane. And or a hospital bed or an oxygen concentrator, but the Lord has just placed those things in our hands to help our local people uh, to, uh, to just have some quality of life.
It happens over and over again. Cure gets a donation, and God leads someone or some organization with a need to cure. Now Cure has a need. Your help. A new generation of volunteers is needed to continue the mission. If God is calling you to volunteer, there are a number of ways you can get involved. If it, if it is not us, who? If it's not now, when? As you heard Matt Griffin say in the video, Dr. Bob Fisher is one of the visionaries who imagined the possibility of finding ways to bring together people with many talents with the objective to deliver resources to the places where they were needed most. Now over the years uh, that I've been here, I've had the privilege and joy to hear Bob Fisher tell me about the way the work got started. And no one can tell the story quite like Bob does. Well, the truth of the matter is, no one can tell any story the way Bob does. And I know that because I've tried to tell some of the Pocahontas, Arkansas stories, and they just don't come out the same. And um, I was talking with Bob recently about the origins of Cure, and he mentions everyone that's been involved in it, but I noticed that Bob kept mentioning the importance of his friend Jim Pratt. And I noticed that there's no way Bob can tell the story of what Cure has done without mentioning Jim, or as he calls him, Prattsky. Bob Fisher and Jim Pratt were the perfect team to start up Cure. Both of these men had this, this vision of what could be in many areas. But you take the combination of the two. Fisher is a doctor of medicine, and he saw the, the waste in the, in the medical area. And then Pratt also, most people don't know this, but Bob awarded him an honorary doctorate of phratology. And so he brought his skill from the area of uh, logistics and freight, and together you combine the two, and they had a shared vision of what could be done if we simply refused to say, you can't do that. It's been a year and a half since Jim Pratt passed away, and his legacy continues in this 20th anniversary. But I thought it might be a good idea to imagine how Jim Pratt would introduce you, Bob. He might simply say, here's Bob, just so we could get on with it, but... That wouldn't be any fun. Uh, I, I wanted to know what Jim Pratt would want all of you to know about his friend Bob Fisher. Jim would want you to know that Bob Fisher is accepting and non-judgmental. He'd want you to know that this man was never too good to leave his antiseptic environment of the hospital and come down to Jim's old dusty and dirty warehouse on 2nd Street and they would visit over all the boxes of packed and unpacked freight. Jim would want all of you to know that Bob Fisher is generous, gentle, and caring, and he never refuses those who need his help, no, never refuses those who need his knowledge or his kindness or his ability to make them well. And in ways beyond medicine, Bob has helped many people have a better life. Jim would want you to know that Bob is the greatest storyteller he knows, and that's why he's the best choice to share this story today. And Jim would want you to know most of all that Bob Fisher is his friend and he loves the Lord, and he loves his family, and he has a deep concern for others, and you can see it in his servant attitude and in the things that he's done. Jim would want you to know most of all that Bob Fisher is his friend and his brother, and one of the greatest joys was working with him to follow God's lead to build something like Cure with him. And I think Jim would finally say, let's get on with it, here's the fish.
tell you, Matt looks so relaxed. I think we'll take this podium away and put a freight dolly up here. Let him kind of lean on it. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, we want to talk to you briefly about projects that West Ark has become famous for, but in which we need some help. As you heard Chris say, a tornado, F3 tornado, hit Fort Smith. It hit on the western end of Garrison Avenue and destroyed Jack Alexander's office building and part of what was then Merchants Bank and the old Ayers Furniture Building, which was uh, attempted later to be rebuilt. And when they turned the power on, it burned down. So there must be a, a message in that. We were we received about two days after the tornado a freight truck full of medical supplies from Helping Hands in Nashville. And Pratsky was one of the persons who met that truck. And when they pulled up, they got out of the back, laid this great big tarpaulin-like thing on the ground and dumped it with sweet potatoes. And they also brought some paper bags. And what they had done is if you fill the paper bag to a certain level and fold it, that's five pounds of sweet potatoes. We gave those things away. I thought we'd have sweet potatoes for 20 years. But when, when they were all given away within two or three days. We noticed several things. The media and the Red Cross usually stays about three days. That's because the Red Cross is not a prolonged disaster relief program. I'll tell you that quite honestly. So they come and the media comes and then they leave, but the need continues. So in addition to Fort Smith, the tornado jumped the river, as they frequently do, and hit Van Buren and damaged about 250 homes. And so for the next year or so, we gathered supplies and delivered to those people. Kevin bought huge amounts of uh, insulation, which were then taken and put in the attics as roofs were added. A number of things like that were done to, uh, to uh, improve the situation. But one thing Jimmy said I have never forgotten, and I forget a lot of stuff at my age. Jimmy said we were standing there looking at that truck, and he said, you know what? We can do this. We can do this. And so based on that, we begin to start. Jerry Canfield registered Cure with the state of Arkansas in the fall, and we made, it became a recognized corporation, and we made application to the Eternal Revenue Service for what's called 501-3C status or not-for-profit. And we started for the first little bit, we were in the old Windsor gym. And it was kind of moving sideways. We would have care groups that would go over there on Monday night, I think, and stock stuff and sort stuff. And one day we were rolling around there, and Pratt looked at me and he said, Fish, I love you like a brother, but i got to tell you, this cure thing ain't never going to take off unless you stop falling in love with your product. Because I had rat-holed everything. I saved everything until we might need that. So we began to expand our, uh, our, our ideas about how to give away things. 
we acquired a little Mitsubishi truck. And it's one of those little trucks. It looked like they started from the back to build a truck, and when they got the cab, they just quit. And, and, but it was good enough for us to get on the road, and Jane Smith actually drove that Fraslin thing to Nashville a couple of times, pick up supplies and deliver, deliver stuff. So we got finally moved into what was Jimmy's old warehouse that he had built when he was active in the freight business. And we were managed to purchase that from him at a very good price. Now, you can't talk about Jim without talking about all the projects that he started that he was involved with. In a little bit, we'll leave here and go out there to eat. And the kitchen that the, that the church has is a gift to Jim Pratt. When he found out that we were going to build what we call the Family Life Center, he began to save commercial-grade kitchen appliances in the freight. That big range, that gadget that makes potatoes and cooks spaghetti and all that kind of, all came from Pratt. And, and he saved those. It took him about two years to accumulate all that stuff, but they were in a sacred place in the warehouse. Nobody is allowed to touch that pile. That's Jim's. And it was given to, given to the church. He also uh, was very instrumental in finding different places for different projects of the church. When Jimmy retired, he would take his grandson, Ben, to school, and then he would drive all around Fort Smith looking for places for the Spanish congregation, the Hope Chest, and ultimately for the House for Lions of Christ. Now he had some other help, and that house was bought through some other influence and so on. But Jimmy was very active in all those things. Now, so the Hope Chest, and I'll mention that because I want to talk about all of Jimmy's works. The Hope Chest actually started in 2005, and they made application for their IRS status in 2008. So that project will slightly, slightly over 10 years old, and in the fall of this year, Cure will be 20 years old. Now, these are great ongoing product, uh, projects. Cure has shipped to date to 51 foreign countries. We have shipped blankets into North Korea. Now that's a trick. You ought to try that sometime. But fortunately we hooked up with other brothers and together we supplied the stuff and they got it into North Korea. We shipped to Red China. That's another real trick. But we, the brothers were able to pull it off. What Cure does is partner with like groups in other places. For example, Rafa in Fort Worth has on their board a gentleman whose occupation is international freight forwarder. So they got a leg up on that stuff. Fort Smith is not the best place to uh, ship a container from. But we had some very interesting things happen to us. One year, we were given 1,500 cases of bedpans. I didn't know there were that many bedpans in the world. We had those things in five colors and four or five 
volumetric thing. We had little thin ones, big tall ones. We had some of the volume marks on the outside, sometimes the volume marks on the inside. Oh, man. We even had sea leaks rule for a while. And that was anybody that gets anything from us is going to get one case of bedpans. <laughs> and so we had those things. Well, the nice thing about the bedpans was they were all in the same size box. Now, Kevin had discovered that if you pack a container very smoothly so when they open the door, it looks all the same, the chances are pretty good the custom people won't go through your load, which greatly delays if they do. So Kevin is a master packer, so he had all these things in there. We closed that baby up and sent it to Romania. In due course, it got to Romania, and the guys of Romania went down to port and picked it up, and they're driving back to Petish. We are shipping to a 1,500-bed hospital, which has 300 orphans. And so we had quite a ways to go. Well, the boys decided to stop on the way there and get something to eat. They did, and while they were inside the restaurant, the back of our truck was broken into by some gypsies. That's after all, is Romania, home of the Romney people. And what they stole was five cases of bedpans. <laughs> we got, and I know to this day, somewhere in Romania, there's a guy wearing and said, "Look at these crazy hats I got from the Americans." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I stole this from the Americans. What do you think? Funny thing. So. We've had several very interesting things happen to us. One of the great things that's happened to Cure has been people who are couples come into the work. We have, for example, like Ron and Betty Morton. Betty runs, partially runs the Hope Chest with Helen. Ron is the guy who takes care of our warehouse and is our truck buyer. We now have four trucks three big trucks and one little truck, we call it, which in other words, 24 feet and 15 feet. Those, uh, two of those trucks were given to us by members of this congregation. They were bought new. They put up the money. Ron made the deal. Uh, so we, ha we have those things. And he, uh, those, the couples are making cure work like we always intended it to work. We intended, we had noticed among the eldership in those days, that when you have a church has a project, it always lacks two things. One is storage space, and the other one is wheels. If we don't have wheels, and we don't have any place to put stuff, the project is dead usually before it gets started. Cure furnishes both of those things. But in the process, Cure gets all sorts of things that can be used in the hope chest. So believe it or not, Ron talks to Betty. And they discover that they need things. Ron goes on the road, and he comes up with stuff that's given to him. He delivered a load one time, and while he was there, the people that were there said, are you interested in any shoes? He said, oh, yeah. yeah we don't." And by the way, Cure has a set rule. We never turn anything down. You'd be amazed what we've been given. Uh, but Ron said, yeah. And so this lady told him where to go, and he wound up with 720 pairs of those Tenderline 
outdoor shoes. Those babies are expensive if you have to buy them. Ron brought them all home, and they began to take them periodically down to the Hope Chest. The Hope Chest is not real big on storage space. They use all of their room for, for the things they have to give away. But it's the communication between Ron and Betty, people working both sides of the street, that begins to make cure work in concert, concert with the other programs that we have. So one time we were given 1,500 five-gallon buckets with lids. We brought those things. We had five-gallon buckets all over the warehouse, complete with the lids. What had happened was they were from, from a Safeway bakery where they make uh, baked goods for all their stores. And on the way back, Ron had been told to go by there. They gave him these buckets. Now, we're all standing there in the warehouse trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do with 1,500 buckets. Ten days later... Storm hit Haiti. Now, Haiti is probably one of the poorest places in the Western world. And it ripped off the houses, roofs and stuff, and it also destroyed even the very basic living places. So, with some of the goodies that we had gotten from Pratsky, things like those little hotel shampoos and soaps and all that stuff, some of our ladies packed those buckets as personal care items for the ladies in Haiti. We took them to uh, Circe, and ultimately they were shipped to Haiti. We were given uh, several large rolls of very heavy vinyl. Swimming pool vinyl in the United States is about 24 millimeters thick. This vinyl is 44 millimeters thick, and it comes from Tommy Beard and his son-in-laws, what they build is a pit, which they then line with this vinyl, and into that pit is put the leftover drilling fluid and the stuff that comes up out of the well as they drill it. You can't let that be on the ground now anymore. So after that's over with, and the drill is finished, the well is made or it's not made or the decision is made, they empty that pit, recover the drilling stuff, and give us the vinyl. And that vinyl is 50 feet wide and 100 feet long. So we laid that stuff out on the ground and cut it into more usable lengths. You can't really pack it by hand because it is, when you start folding, it multiplies rapidly. So Ron would pack it with a forklift. He would pull it up out on the other Finally, we got it. And the reason we had to pack it so carefully is because we were shipping with the Air Force. Now, when you ship something with the Air Force, it has to be very precisely packed. The product must stop within an inch of each side of the pallet that it's on. And it must be really secured. And really secured in Air Force terms is one of those, two of those metal brown bands around that thing. Ron folded and refolded and refolded vinyl. I think he'd even do it in his sleep. But finally, we got it down where they would take it, and it was transported to what we call Jacksonville Air Force Base, which is actually in Cabot, and ultimately taken by the Air Force to uh, Haiti. I could tell you many other uh, stories, uh, but I also wanted to mention the Hope Chest here. 
Jimmy looked quite a while for Hope Chest Building. He finally found one. And with Helen's help, and they, they began a Hope Chest ministry. And the reason for that was when Jimmy and I were elders, we would hold a meeting where mission stuff would be discussed. Now, we have an excellent overseas mission program and more power to those brothers. But invariably, every time we would discuss it, somebody would say, there are people here in Fort Smith who need help. And that would kind of set the discussion to one side. But when the hope chest was conceived and cure was conceived, it was a way in which we could help uh, people here locally. And that's the genesis of the hope chest. They made their application for our 5013C status in 2008. And the reason I tell you that is Helen wanted me to say that any money you give them is tax deductible. So that's true. That's the same thing as cure, incidentally. They're all tax deductible. There are many other things I could tell you about cure, about things we've done, places we've gone to see. One of the best prayers I ever heard was prayed by a brother from Danville, Arkansas. He was in our warehouse with some of his friends and a big trailer. Their purpose was to drag supplies to Mexico and rebuild churches down there. So we gave them a bunch of stuff. We loaded their trailer, loaded the trailer, finally got through. And this, this brother said, now boys, we got to pray. You can't ever start out on anything unless you pray. So a bunch of old hairy leg boys standing around the warehouse holding hands. Can you get this? And, and he bowed his head and here's what he said. He said, Lord, we ain't got a clue what we're doing. <laughs> and, I, and then he went in and asked a friend. I thought, what a great, what a down-to-earth great uh, statement that was. Lord, we ain't got a clue. So the, we need now to think some. What I'm, the reason I mention all this, our projects, like the Hope Chest and Cure, the tutoring program and other things, is suffering because we don't have enough people. A strange thing is happening in the Hope Chest and in Cure, and that is we ain't getting any younger. And we thought probably we'd live for two or three hundred years and everything is good, but that, I'm pretty well convinced now that ain't going to happen. So we need some help. Cure needs people who, on a short notice, men mostly, who can come to the warehouse and help us unload these trucks. The boys go up usually into Iowa or southern Missouri and pick up stuff and bring it back full. Sometimes it's full of hospital beds. Those things are not user-friendly. Ron has lost part of a finger to one of those things. Painful injury, but he, being such a tough guy, you wouldn't know anything about it. It wouldn't slow him down. But we have to have people who can help us unload when the do go. We need somebody to sit in the cure office about two hours a day and take phone calls. Right now, Matt and Ron are getting daily phone calls on their cell phones by the discharge services of the hospital or similar organizations looking for certain pieces of equipment for, we call them patients, they call them clients, and 
who, who need something, like a walker or a wheelchair or a bed or that rail that goes over the bed. We have all that stuff. They call us daily, and we try to fill their needs. It's becoming, as I said, where we're so getting so old that we can't really keep up with all that. I didn't think I'd ever say that, but I do. Talking about old, I haven't worn a necktie in years. And I put this thing on this morning, I forgot how to tie them. So the first two times I tied it, the frazzling back half was longer than the front. Isn't that weird looking? When I did? That's really weird looking. It took me three or four times to get it tied. So we need people to answer the phone. We need money. That's a given. Have you ever, named, have you ever known an overfunded church project? I don't think there's ever been one. We always operate on a shoestring. And, the, and we need people to help us unload, people to answer the phone, and we need money. The Hope Chest has similar needs, that they also need money, but they need clean clothes of very size, and they need people. If you look at the back of your church bulletin, you will see in that little box the hours they're open. And they will work with you to work two or three hours with them while, they, uh, while, while the thing is open and while they set the store up. It's basically a retail business. We also, they also need someone or some bodies who is acquainted with computers. They use computers for their inventory, and if you can do that, Bill Walker, who is their computer guru, will teach you how to use the programs they have in the event that some is absent. So they need those three things. And in conclusion, almost, I, I want to I impress on you how badly we need people. Years ago, when Jimmy was still alive, we were sitting in the warehouse one night and the other guys there, and I looked around, and between the six of us that were in the building, there weren't enough good joints to make one person. <laughs> Everybody was down in something. It's kind of interesting. So we, we need your help. I want to tell you one Pocahontas story before I go. This is Pocahontas Church in the 1950s. And in those days, we used to have what's called meetings, daily preaching. Sometimes the more sophisticated church would say, we're going to have a protracted meeting. I never fully understood what that meant, but I think it was about seven days. Now, in the church, it's very custom for the ladies of the church to make up a little sequence whereby they would fix supper or dinner for the visiting preacher. So one Saturday after he finished preaching, the, the, a lady came to him and said, uh, you're having lunch with us tomorrow on Sunday. Is there anything you would like to have uh, particularly to eat? And he told her, he said, well, everybody has fed me so good. I've had steak and roast beef and chicken times two or whatever it is. And what I really would like to have is just an old bologna sandwich. So, next, so the next day he got out to the lady's house and sure enough, 
in the kitchen, there was this great big loaf of bologna, there was bread, there was tomatoes and everything. Incidentally, the creation of a bologna sandwich in Pocahontas is a work of art. There are, there are certain features you must have. Bologna must fit one slice of bread, and the tomato must fit that bologna. And then you, you have a topping. So he's in her kitchen, and he starts to cut himself bologna, and he notices there's a big green fly sitting on the handle of the knife. So he pauses, and he's trying to decide what he ought to do. He didn't want to embarrass the lady, and, but he wasn't really interested in eating after the fly. About that time, the lady walks in the kitchen, and she sees the fly, and she waves her hand, and the fly flies off to about three or f- just below the ceiling, and all of a sudden just crashes and burns, dies right there in the kitchen. And the, our preaching brother looked at her and he said, do you know the moral of this story? And she said, no, I don't. He said, the moral is never fly off the handle when you're full of baloney. <laughs> when you're full of baloney. We take a lot of inspiration and cure from Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan in Luke. If you dig into that story, you know that Samaritans were anathema to Jews. It wouldn't have anything to do with him. And yet he figures prominently in this story. the, The man who was robbed was on a path that was known for that. People could easily say, well, it wouldn't happen if he hadn't gone down there. Everybody knows that's a bad road. Well, they did know, friends and everything. But he was robbed and left for dead. And then you remember various other people came by and passed. And finally the Samaritan shows, picks him up. You know the story. What's interesting uh, is why Jesus told that story. He was talking to his disciples about helping and about expressing love. And some wise guy in the crowd said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told this story. And then he asked this guy, who do you think was his neighbor? And the answer was the one who helped him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. What a great story. We were going to leave this place shortly, and we're going to go out into the... Family Life Center, and we're going to have lunch. And while you're out there, you might just want to peek in the kitchen door and think of Jim Pratt because he furnished all of that stuff. And it's good at times to honor him. I wish we'd honored him more when he was alive, but that's our tradition. We don't ever honor people till they're dead. I don't know how we started doing that, but we, we did. But there will be an opportunity out there for you to indicate your interest in not only these two programs, but others that are coming up. We have lost already our tutoring program. That was a great program. And the benefit is intangible, all those little children, as frequently it is. One of the things about the Christian life is we, of necessity, have the long view we're only here temporarily. And then we hope to go to be with God in heaven. So we live the long view 
of life. And so if you can help us, if you can find a place in your schedule for any of those programs or any others that they have here, you'd be more than welcome. Thank you. We're going to sing a song right now, and during this song, if you want to uh, respond to the Lord's invitation to serve Him, because all of this service begins with you deciding to serve God, and then we serve God, and then we learn that in loving God, we love one another, and we express it in all these ways. I do hope you will stick around for the meal, and I do hope you'll take an opportunity to see all of these opportunities. If you're new here, this is your legacy. You have, you have been invited into this in every way. Be as creative as you can be. But won't you uh, respond to this invitation for prayer or to serve God? Let's stand and let's sing together. <laughs>